Hi everyone, it's your host, Mariah E. Gates, and this is another episode of Prague Save America, a podcast about all things Prague Rock, Bob Dylan, and the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. If you've listened before, you know that every episode I'm joined by a guest who shares at least one of these passions. This week, I'm joined by Billy Ray Bruton, Managing Director of $3 Bill Cinema, Artistic Director of Scripts Gone Wild, Co-Director of the Skyline Indie Film Fest, and host of the Movies with Gravy podcast. We're here to talk about Bruce Springsteen's most recent album, Letter to You. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I'm doing all right. It's been a hot couple of couple of weeks. <laughs> I understand. I, I I've only been. I, I just relocated to Seattle about a week and a half ago, so I've been enjoying the more temperate weather. It was pretty toasty up there a while ago, though. It was. I got here just after the heat wave left. So oh, that's I've good. Getting, I've been getting, well, today's a gorgeous day. Not a cloud in the sky, you know, mid-70s, light breeze. That's kind of what I've been dealing with most of the time I've been here. That sounds ideal. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, like, it's July and it feels like that August. You know, we're supposed to have, like, two weeks of, like, melting in August and that's the hottest it's supposed to be. It's been like that all summer. I don't I don't like it. I'm not into yeah. it. You were telling me you were telling me before we started recording about, you know, how you had forgotten to keep your air on during the night. And so you yeah. woke up and it was hot. And it's crazy, but that's such a big deal in LA. Like if I don't leave my AC on during the night, I wake up in misery. That's pretty much what happened. I was like, why am I having nightmares? And then I realized, oh, I'm having nightmares because I'm like melting to death in my apartment. <laughs> That's, you know, it was bad. And then it took all morning to cool it back down. Um, well, I'm glad you're in much more temperate weather. That sounds ideal. Um, but speaking of things that are hot, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, um, <laughs> So my, my first question really is if you remember – the first time you listened to Springsteen or knew who Springsteen was or like Springsteen became part of your world? Yeah, I actually do. I, I, well, I, I had listened to him loosely when I was a kid because uh, my grandmother had this really old record player in our living room and some of my dad's old records were shoved in there and he had a couple of uh, early Springsteen records. And so when I was a kid, I would just play all these different records. Most of them were country, but there were some rock in there like CCR and Bob Seger and, you know, stuff that any, at the time, early 40s Southern man would probably be listening to. Um, and so I remember hearing him at a younger age, but the first time I remember actually hearing one of his songs and thinking, oh, damn, I love this song. I immediately want to hear it again was probably when I was about, 10 and it was the song no surrender oh yes yes and that's that, a great song so great and i remember hearing that song on the radio and being like wow and then i remember going home and, and putting two and two together that that song was bruce springsteen and those records that i listened to were bruce springsteen and that's sort of what started my, my love of the boss um yeah i think that's that's very similar story that to what I have in that I had probably listened to his stuff but didn't realize who he was until I finally did. And then I was like, wait a minute, that's the same stuff from all the previous, you know, 
stuff I'd heard because, you know, I think for people our age, Bruce, by the time we were listening to music was ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, but unless you have someone really pointing out like this is this is the boss, you don't actually really know what it is you're listening to. Um, I think I told this story at some point on this podcast about I had a teacher who um, lent me his greatest hits CD. And that was kind of when I put two and two together about all the different places I had heard these songs, but didn't yeah. really have a, an idea of who he was as a, as a person. And then I went like really crazy into Springsteen in college. Yeah. Um, Cause that was when I discovered the 500 greatest songs of all time. Uh, yeah, Rolling Stone list. Yeah. That. Yeah. And I, I um, illegally downloaded um, a torrent. If you remember torrent, torrents of all the songs and listen to it in order, you know, from 500 down to one. And there was so much Springsteen and that's those two incidents really within about a five year period is how I've now mostly listened to Springsteen <laughs> more yeah. than, more than anything. Yeah. I, I would say that there probably wasn't a Bruce Springsteen album that was not downloaded to my Napster at certain, at a certain point uh, back in the day when Napster was the shit. Yes. I never actually used Napster. I didn't convince my parents to really get get internet that would do that. Well, they didn't really – they could never get internet. They could do that. Napster wouldn't work on my hometown internet. Let's put it that way. But um, there was some – there was something before LimeWire and then there was LimeWire. And those were the two that I used. And I can never remember the name of what it was that was before LimeWire, but it really looked like The Matrix. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> like I, was, I know what you're talking about, and I can't think of the name of it. Either, I don't. I, I don't exactly remember. What you're talking about. I don't remember what it was called, but it, you know, I found songs, so that's all that matters. Um, so today's episode, we're specifically talking about his latest album, "Letter to You," and a song on it that means a lot to you. And I'm wondering if you remember, you know, when he announced this album was coming, and and sort of the lead up to it, and how you first started listening to it once it did come out any of any of those stories yeah so i i think i probably heard about letter to you probably a couple of months before it came out so it wasn't on my radar for a crazy long time and for a while i was under sort of some sort of like misinformation like for a while i thought it was going to be like another sort of like high hopes album where you've got them recording like some older songs recording them fresh and that's what I thought Letter to You was going to be for probably the first couple months that I knew about it. And it was only right before it came out that I realized, oh, no, this is mostly new material. And um, obviously immediately excited about it. Anytime Springsteen's got an album coming out, it's an event. And I was particularly excited about this because I feel like Springsteen, maybe more so than any other artist, is really excellent at creating music for a particular moment. Yes. And, you know, he's done it countless times. And I, I think back, you know, I think back to when The Rising came out and how that was such a perfect album for post 9-11. It was sort of what everybody needed. And I feel like he did that again with Wrecking Ball, which was, you know, post uh, financial crisis. And it, it kind of addressed that in this really substantive way. And I feel like Letter to You, even though, you know, it, it really, I, I, it wasn't, record written or recorded with COVID in mind I do feel like it came out at the right time during COVID where it even though it wasn't directly speaking to it indirectly I felt like it kind of was and so it had all of this you know this different sort of impact 
It was sort of just transferred onto it. And I, I was just, you know, I'm, I'm typically always blown away by a Springsteen album. But this one in particular was maybe the strongest I felt about a Springsteen album, maybe since The Rising. Oh, and wow. Yeah, it just, I don't know. There was something about it. It's like, it's like part part magic, part darkness on the edge of town. It like blends all of these different sort of like phases of Springsteen together. And it just has this sort of like communal feel to it that I really responded to. It, it came out to your point, maybe not on a, on a macro level, but on a micro level at the perfect time um, for me, the story always, I've told the story a few times. It always starts out much sadder than I intend. So apologies in advance, but um it, the day that he announced that this album was coming was literally the day my grandfather died. Oh. And yeah, it was a tough, tough morning and um, hadn't really told the, you know, I hadn't told the internet yet. He he passed in the middle of the night and I get, I got a bunch of texts from people um, about the Springsteen album. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, it's like Bruce, it's like Bruce knew I needed something really good to come. And then, the press that was coming off of that was all about uh, Bruce facing mortality and the various songs that were inspired by people who had died. And so then I got all these texts from people who then had known that my grandfather had passed that were like, hey, these articles and interviews are really great, but maybe wait <laughs> to read yeah. them till you're in a better state of mind, um, which I did. I kind of waited a bit. and But I found the entire press cycle and and what he had to say about mortality really comforting in the wake of of the passing of my grandfather my grandfather is very old he was um 98 and a half so like he you know he lived a good life but it's it's always tough and seeing seeing Springsteen really talk about all of that and then having this album that really is kind of a summation of of all these feelings of what it is to age and face that was sort of like I don't know how I don't know how it became so perfect, um, but it was exactly it was exactly what I needed, like on a micro level. Well, yeah, and I think what you just said is is exactly what I'm talking about because I feel like I feel like at the point when this came out, which would have been October of last year, I feel like the whole country was sort of in this collective state of mourning from you know from everyone who had died from COVID and just from the trauma of the past you know year, and you know and this album like you it, it it speaks to that it speaks to that mourning and that grief and that that idea of mortality and aging and and sort of finding a new way to identify with yourself in the, in the light of all of it and i i just i really it was like nourishment like it really honestly even though some of these songs are you know are, are sort of they're not they're not downer songs but like they're they're certainly a little more somber than maybe something off of like, um, you know, working on a dream or something like that. Um, so there, but it just came, it hit at the right time. Like his stuff always does. And it just, it sort of put things in perspective for me at the right time, which he's also great at with his songs. Like I listen, I listen to this album and I'm like, Oh, okay. I feel like I have a better understanding of a myself and be the world around me. Yeah. I, I truly think that is one of his great, um just great aspects of what he is as a as a listener of people and a and a yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? Like um 
a conductor of a yeah. feeling, not conductor like in a railroad, but you know, like a you, you put it down and like an, a lightning bolt will strike it, the kind of conductor, um, where he just picks up all those vibes and then is able to like put them into some sort of semblance of order for the for the rest of us. Um, so when I I asked you to come on this show, you specifically said you wanted to talk about the song "If I Was the Priest." Um, and this is actually the first episode that I'm doing where that's we're going to really go deep on on one song, which I'm really psyched about because yeah. um, I love a close read. So I'd love to hear sort of um, what your thoughts were on this particular song, yeah. what lyrics spoke to you, like what what is it about this song that you love so much? Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. I, I think what sh I, it took me a few listens for this to really become my favorite track on the album. When I first heard when I first heard the album, it was Ghosts. Uh, I, after a few more listens, it was like I think it's song for orphans. And but the more I kept listening, the more this song just kept standing out. And I think it's a combination of things. I think it is. I love I love it when he's tackling religion in any form. Uh, in any of his songs, I find it fascinating. And I just, I think he's so attuned to that and so just apt at sort of getting to the bottom of it. And for me, if I was a priest, is so much about religion, how religion sort of governs and dominates our life and sort of these religious sort of edicts that we've been sort of programmed and taught and then how we can kind of bust free of those ideologies and sort of take our own path and chart our own path. And so that really spoke to me and he's done it before. Like he addresses those themes. He's, he, you know, Springsteen, maybe, you know, more than anybody else is really great at, at sort of telling these sort of American stories about people who are sort of, you know, they're, they're sort of making their own decisions. They're going their own path, even if it's not what's necessarily the norm, which, you know, honestly is what Bruce did. And it's what a lot of his characters and his songs have done. And, this song to me, the lyric that grabbed me uh, sort of right off the bat is, is literally the opening line of the song, which the opening line is like, there's a light on yonder mountain and it's calling me to shine. There's a girl over by the water fountain and she's asking to be mine. And then there, then it gets into that sort of religious memory and Jesus is standing in the doorway in a buckskin jacket, boots and spurs so fine. And like all of that, it's just, it strikes so much like, vivid imagery in my head and it's also one of the multiple uses every bruce album there are certain words that he sort of returns to in multiple songs it's almost they're almost like weird they're not themes but they're just like little connectors and and i don't know if you noticed this but in in letter to you buckskin is mentioned like three or four yeah times. he definitely yeah. you can definitely see this as an album coming off of western stars um where Western Stars is a little bit more of a, almost a concept album, not quite, of him imagining himself as uh, a cowboy, right? And and this one, it pulls back to more of Bruce being Bruce, but you you get a, you keep a lot of the the Western um, terminology. And I realize now, looking at these lyrics, unless these lyrics are completely printed wrong everywhere on the internet, the reason I keep miss saying this ti the title of the song is the title of the song and the lyrics don't match up. That's is correct. This, is this right? Okay, That's this right. is why I keep messing it up. I feel so much better now. <laughs> it's like I keep I keep calling it if I were a priest, which is the lyric, 
But the song is If I Was the Priest. I feel so much. I feel validated now. Yeah, yeah. You were um, correct. <laughs> I was like, how do I keep doing this? And I'm like, well, that's how I keep doing it. Why Bruce, do you do What's he doing? He's keeping us on our toes. He really is keeping us on our toes. Um, So one of the things I particularly love about Springsteen is what an evocative storyteller he is. And this film, this film, this song in particular, not only tells a really interesting story, but within the story uses evocative phrases. He's talking about the Holy Grail. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. He's talking about Dodge City. He's mixing... He's mixing all of this Christian ideology in with Western mythology and creating a whole new, just a whole new mythos kind of. Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely is. And that's, that's what I respond to a lot because I mean, I'm also a massive fan. I'm I'm a massive Western fan and a fan of sort of Western imagery and, and just anything to do with that sort of period of time. I'm sort of a sucker for, and you know, obviously it's not the first time he's dealt with those themes. He's done it multiple times. But in this song in particular, the way he's blending that sort of religious iconography, like, you know, like Jesus standing in the doorway, a buckskin jacket, boots and spurs so fine. And um, and then, you know, and then just the last part of that chorus, like there's just too many outlaws trying to work the same line, which to me is all about, you know, I think it can mean different. It can mean a lot of different things. It could mean like it could mean this idea of like there are a lot of people out there who you know, who aren't necessarily following a righteous path and he shouldn't be one of those people. Um, there, there are a lot of different interpretations of that, but to me, it definitely did come back to this idea of someone who was sort of indoctrinated with religion and having to learn how to break themselves free of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and boy, oh boy, I just, I, I, I don't know why necessarily, because this, it, this to me is sort of an outlier track on the album in a, in a, in a weird way, because I feel like, this song less than the others. I mean, the others do deal with more with mortality to me than this song does. This song to me is just more of a, one of his like sort of classic American stories. Yeah. And, and what I was saying earlier about it connecting with Western stars, I realize now is, is not quite right because he actually wrote this song in the seventies. And, and I think it's interesting to me that he wrote this song early on, I think before even his first, his first album. Um, and yet it almost sounds like it could be part of Western stars or was he always sort of like, had he been waiting 50 years to write Western stars? Um, maybe. And that's why it fits so nicely in with that. And it fits nicely in with, um, the other songs that are, not necessarily from the seventies, but are, are tapping back into people he knew from the seventies, which fits so nicely into just, just all of it. I I know that he at some point is going to put out an entire, like another version of tracks, which is just a whole nother bunch of songs that he recorded and or wrote that have never seen the light of day. And and every time he says that that's going to happen, I'm always like, okay, but when, <laughs> you know, because if it's, if, if the next tracks is another album that's full of songs like this, like, I don't know that we can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, and that is, and that's part of it too. Like you listen to this album and like, you know, how long has it been since I've heard Bobby referenced in a song? Like it, it's, and that's the thing is it has that sort of classic feel to it because it does sort of bring back some of those references and I would defy, I, I just, I feel like I should say, I would defy anybody to find me 
as amazing of a four track progression as if I was the priest, ghost, song for orphans, and I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah. Man, that, I a, mean, how to end an album? My God, it's it's a really just intense side of an album, and um, "Song for Orphans" another one that he pulled from his '70s archive, yeah. um, and, and another one that just is is just so magnificent in its imagery. Um, the album itself, I you know I've said this already, but it really is one of his most evocative and and i think that's why it got the documentary treatment um and i do think the documentary also is sort of beautiful um i'm forgetting the guy's name tommy what's his name oh oh gosh or is it tom i'm gonna find it i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you right now we're gonna google it okay what is his name tommy tom zimney I was oh Zimmy, that's why I get yeah. the Tom. Okay, Tom Zimmy, who's made several of of these um, films with Springsteen, shot it, and it's shot in this really um, stunning black and white in the snow, right before I think they shot it right before quarantine. Yeah, um, which is you know they're so lucky they were able to do that, um, and it's like it really is like getting the band, getting the band back together. Yeah. Um, did you did you get to watch it when it premiered? I did. I watched it the day that it dropped. And and kind of what was your experience with it? Um, I mean, I I adore it. I watched it with a friend of mine who's also a Springsteen fan but isn't a big music doc person. And so I don't know that he got that much out of it, but I was transfixed from beginning to end because what it felt like to me is what you just said. It just felt like a group of old friends getting back together. And it was so inclusive that it really just made you feel like you were part of the group in a weird way. Like if you felt, I felt like I was just a fly on the wall and it was so, it was just so impressive to watch that process. And we've seen, you know, they, you know, Bruce has had other docs and um, you know, there was the doc that came out the Western stars doc. And, you know, it's not the first time we've seen him on film, but like just watching that process, which felt so like, almost ragtag in a way. I mean, how ragtag can it be? They're in this gorgeous studio. and Yeah. But it did feel very much just like a group of friends sitting around and playing music. And I feel like that almost translates to the album too. I feel like when you hear that album, it almost feels like that. It feels like just a group sitting around and playing music together. And so it's got that, it's certainly got the polish to it, but it's, it's, it's a ragged sort of polish. And I, you know, there, there's such an, interesting history with him and his band and the way that they sort of ebb and flow together. And I felt like the, the album sort of dipping back into those early days and then coming back with them and again, coming off of Western stars and Western stars, the documentary didn't really have all of them in it, but now you have all of them again. And um, it really, it really feels like, I, and I don't mean this in the in a like I don't want to curse anybody, but it really felt like a um, almost like if we don't do this now, maybe we'll never get to. And yeah. then knowing that they were able to do it right before the quarantine, it's like maybe it really was the last time they're going to be able to do any anything quite like this. Um, it, yeah, you know, it really, it's I think to your point earlier about um, it coming at a time when everyone was just grieving from both politics and and the pandemic and all of this all combined. um, It really is sort of like we're in 
a different phase, right? Like we, that was like a, a moment in the global like life. Everyone's everyone on the globe has it before that happened, after that happened. And we're sort of, are we even in the after? Hard to say. Um, but definitely I think we're not going to go it, none of us are, are going to be the same people we were before the pandemic. And it's interesting that he would write an album about kind of about that hitting that phase of your life without realizing that, that we were also as a global community about to hit, hit that. It's like, how did he know? I think, I think, I think Bruce has an otherworldly artistic knowledge, frankly. Like, I think he just, I, I think, I think there's just something about his ability to really, ca- and maybe it's not even that he's able to capture what other people need. Maybe it's just that what he needs at any given time is so in sync with what everybody else needs. And- I, I, I do, I do think that that's, that's gotta be it. It's gotta be, he's gotta be like a world-class empath or something. Yeah. Which um, I think he, which I think having now listened, you know, you know, such an interesting year for Springsteen with this album, his drunk, his, his, his drunk driving arrest, which yeah. I think, which I think was hysterical. And then of course the Obama, you know, the conversations with Obama that they did on Spotify. Um, I, 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 talking about him being an empath, having listened to that Spotify series of conversations with him and Obama, I think that's absolutely the case. I think both of them are such amazingly empathetic human beings. And like, you know, and I don't know if you listened to that or not, but listening to them converse for that series was just heaven. I haven't listened to it yet, actually. I don't know why I haven't, but I, (laughs) I'm not really, this is a weird thing to say on a podcast. I'm not really a big listener of podcasts Yeah. as a whole. I I like to listen to like one-off episodes here and there of of people's podcasts um, as I try to get people to listen to every episode of this podcast. <laughs> um, the only podcast, to be to be honest, the only podcast I've listened to every single episode of is Desert Oracle. And that's a very recent phenomenon. I like binged it a couple weeks ago. And um, I somehow that specific milieu I, really hooked me. Whereas every other podcast, it's like, I'll start getting into it. And then I'm like, Ugh, and then I'll just tr- you know turn it <laughs> off or... Yeah, I have so, a, I have a pretty short attention span with podcasts too, with with some exceptions. Obviously, uh, there are some that I listen to religiously, but for the most part, it's got to really hook me uh, to to get me to invest all that time into it. The Springsteen one did, the Springsteen and Obama one did, because it was so unexpected for me. Like what they talk about was so unexpected. Like to get to hear Obama talk so much about music, but then to get to hear Springsteen talk so much about non-musical things it was just really fascinating that's you're selling me on it i think um i think i'm I'm, i think actually probably the reason i didn't listen to it now that i'm thinking about when it came out was he had done that really terrible um commercial for the super bowl the like both sides commercial and i was in a i was in a like bruce you're making it real hard on me right now kind of mode and i was just like i can't I can't do this because I was too afraid that it was going to be too similar to the, to the commercial. (laughs) I just didn't, I just wasn't in the right mind space for that, but I think it's finished now, right? Yeah, it's done now. And and yeah, so I can, I can binge it now. I'll just do a binge. I think it's five episodes. I think it's. Okay. That's, that feels doable. Yeah. That feels doable. And you really just get the feeling like 
it was so nice to listen because you do really get the sense that Bruce and Obama are like just really good friends who enjoy having a conversation. Together. That I I do really kind of dig a lot because um, obviously Springsteen has been a supporter of Obama from all the way back in 08 and having, you know, not to get too, too political on the podcast, but having um, them play Springsteen at Biden's inauguration, like yeah. that was the, that was the one bit of the inauguration where it's was like, okay, you guys got me. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking back to the lyrics on this song and just the idea of Jesus as a sheriff is a lot. Yeah. Like I'm trying to picture, I'm thinking, I'm picturing, what I'm picturing is Jesus as Henry Fonda. (laughs) And I don't know if that's what he was picturing when he was writing Jesus as a sheriff, but that's the only sheriff that is like in my head right now. So now in my head, it's, (laughs) it's like Springsteen is the priest and Henry Fonda is Jesus. And I don't, I don't know that I'll ever get that image out of my head. I like Um, that image. I think that's a great image. (laughs) <laughs> Henry Fonda was a complicated man. I feel like I feel like this works. Um, let's see. What other just like there's a lot of really interesting uh, imagery in here. That he talks about bootleggers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Junkies and um, burlesque shows. Yeah. Hosted by the Holy Ghost. It's like. Absolutely. Mm. One, that's one of one of the. Yeah, I think it just. I mean, his way with words is pretty legendary already. But um, just the what is it? Uh, oh, let's see. Um, for a nickel, she'll give you whiskey and a personally blessed balloon. There's something about yeah. that. There's something about that line that makes me smile every time I hear it. Every time I hear it, I smile. There's um. There's you just don't hear the word song. balloon. You don't hear the word balloon used a lot in the song. <laughs> No, and 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 a lot of what he evokes in here reminds me. Do you remember the song Reno from Devils and Dust? Yes, yes, I do. It's not quite as explicit as Reno, um, but it's got similar sort of ways of discussing, um, kind of the 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 rowdier for lack of a better word aspects of western culture yeah um i definitely wonder why springsteen has never done i know western stars was kind of a the documentary was kind of a western but like you know bob dylan was actually in a western and i wonder why springsteen was never actually just in a western yeah i mean i mean unless you can make the case for high fidelity being a western (laughs) yeah not not quite i i feel like Maybe we should write him a Western to be in. I mean, I would love to see Springsteen do more acting. I would love to see him in more films. He's, I, I just, he's charming. He's and such an interesting presence. Like, his presence is just so, like, it's almost like, it, it, I'm trying to think of, it, it, there's, there's, like a, there's like a wisdom to his presence. Like, yeah. it, that's what it is. It's, it's not like Tom Waits, where Tom Waits, who I adore, is like, he's like the, he's like your crazy old, prospector uncle in everything he does and that's awesome and i love him for it but bruce has just got this sort of this kind of like easygoing profit vibe definitely in his in his later stuff as well i know you mentioned um um briefly wrecking ball that's possibly my favorite of 
all of his albums. It's very, it's coming close. Um, and I know that's a bit controversial because it's like everyone loves his 70s stuff. And, and I feel this way about, about some of Bob Dylan's work too, where I love the stuff that is so iconic that it is um, sort of objectively a masterpiece, right? But in terms of favorites, my favorites are always tend to be something a little deeper cut and and there's just something about how angry he is in in wrecking ball that i just really vibe with at this stage in my life in my life yeah it it, it was it was such an such an angry album when it came out and and rightfully so but even now when i listen to it what i take i mean I, i i i find myself the first few times i heard that album I cried like a baby on Land of Hope and Dreams because I was like, I feel like this is the last, like the last Clarence lick that we're going to get. Yeah. And absolutely, I, it still hits me every time I hear it. It's just like, oh, like, and, and that's no slay. Like, you know, his nephew is incredible and like an incredible sax player and certainly is keeping that spirit alive in the newer stuff, but it's just different. Like, whereas Clarence, you know, Clarence was such a leader in the band and was so forefront. I feel like Jake is more in the background. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, speaking of that, have you have you seen Springsteen live? Um, I've seen Springsteen live eight times. Oh wow! Um, okay, let's let's hear it. Yeah. So the first time I saw Springsteen was the Ghost of Tom Joe tour. Oh wow! Um, I saw him, and it was it was in Huntsville, Alabama. It was in a in a weirdly intimate venue, and um, absolutely adored it it was incredible performance i saw i saw him on the rising tour twice um because i just blown away by that and that tour um i saw him on his next tour twice and i can't remember if that was the magic tour or working on a dream which one was that can't remember i think it was magic and then i saw the devils and dust i saw him do a, his solo show around the time of devils and dust and then i saw the broadway show um which i consider to be a live show oh, yeah i think that totally counts and the one that i'm missing is the uh the tour he did for john Kerry, which was him and a bunch of other artists and it was the um what was it called it was the because he would, because I saw him on the tour. I saw REM. Oh wow, that's a yeah. that's a great mixture. It was the something change tour or something. It was something like that. I don't remember offhand. It was the something for change tour. It was all of these different artists, like the Indigo Girls, and it was all mm. sorts of folks. And uh, and so he didn't play a full set. I was gonna say he didn't play for three hours. I bet didn't play for three hours. But they did like some. They did some great stuff. Like Michael Stipe came on and played with them, and then they played or they did. They brought up uh, Michael Stipe, who sang like "Because the Night," and then mm. uh, Springsteen sang "Man on the Moon" with Michael Stipe, and it was just a great. Oh, I've heard thing. that. I've heard that cover. I've yeah. I probably heard that live cut, um, but I didn't know where it was from. So that's. That's that fills in that gap. I have seen him twice. I wish more times. Um, The first time was in the Working on a Dream tour. I saw him at Bonnaroo, and it it was life changing. And I got a set list, and I have it framed, and it is one of my prized possessions. Um, And it was the last tour with Clarence. Yeah, um, which is why I wanted to see if you'd seen seen him with Clarence. Clearly, you have, which is which is great because I I think. 
you know, I saw I saw him on the river tour also, and I loved the river tour, and it was fantastic. But there was something really truly magical about what he had with Clarence yeah. and what you could see when they performed together. Um, and a lot of the press and interviews, the ones I was talking about that I, I didn't read the day, you know, the day that my grandfather died, was really about that relationship he had with Clarence and what it meant to him and how important it was to him both artistically and just as a person. And I think the album does such a wonderful job of kind of memorializing what Clarence was both in terms of in the E Street Band and just for Bruce in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that it's sad to know that we're never going to get that image again of Bruce standing center stage with Stevie on his left, Clarence on his right, like leaning into them as they, I mean, like that's, that's, it's, it's, it's really sad to think we're not going to get that again. I will say too, there's a lengthy discussion in the Obama podcast about Clarence, which is really great. Oh, okay. Um, I'll definitely, yeah. definitely sold now. They go deep into like, not only into their relationship, but like what the race dynamics were in the group and how mm. that, it's a really, it's a really fascinating discussion. But I remember when that first, the first time I saw them on the rising tour, which is, I, I, I still, I still say that the greatest concert I've ever been to was David Byrne. Um, but a close second would be that first time I saw them on the rising tour because it was the most explosive show I've ever seen. And it was Bruce, you know, back when Bruce was still doing all the Bruce things, like back when he was sliding across the stage and climbing to the top of the amp and singing a song, like things that obviously he can't do now. Yeah. Um, but that he was still able to do back then when he was just literally all over the stage. And like, it was just so much energy. And every time any band member had a solo, it was just like the it was like the world was just stopping for them, and it was just one of the best experiences. That sounds absolutely amazing. I um, when I saw them at Bonnaroo, um, the the kind of the highlight. I think I said this in the launch of episode of this podcast. The highlight was, um, as you well know, people bring signs to spring scene shows, you know, yeah. and they throw them on the stage. I didn't know this. No one told me this. Um, or I would have brought a sign um, with me, but I did not. But somebody, some industrious person brought a life-size Santa Claus paper cutout and threw that on the stage. And Bonnaroo, you're from the South, so you know yeah. that the South in June is really hot. And so it's like sweltering June, Tennessee sun and um, – He's digging around on the stage and he pulls up this friggin' Santa Claus and, and, you know, Clarence starts playing the little, um, you know, little notes from their version of Santa Claus coming to town. And you can hear the audience, like who are Springsteen fans, like losing their minds. And then the audience that are just like there, cause it's Bonnaroo being completely confused because yeah. like, why are you playing a Christmas song in <laughs> the middle of June? Um, but it was it was truly magical, and I'm grateful to that person wherever they are for um, bringing that Santa Claus with them because because of that I got to hear Clarence play his part on that song live. Yeah, and and I would not trade that experience for pretty much anything in the world. Yeah, I I, I get the, the 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 same concert I was just talking about the one the rise the first concert of the Rising Tour halfway through the concert 
um, Bruce just stopped and was like, he's like, hey, I think I know somebody in the audience. And then all of a sudden, Amy Lou Harris comes up. Oh, wow. And the, and sings like, and they sing, or she sings My Hometown. She sings, um, I think, Racing in the Street with him. Like, she just says like three songs with him, like it's nothing. Then just goes and sits back down in the audience. <laughs> That's what I love about his thing. And I would have loved to have been at Bonnaroo because like, I remember when I saw it on the, the John Kerry tour with all the musicians, like when Springsteen was playing, every single other musician was watching him like a hawk. Like everybody, it's like every other musician was there to see Bruce. Yeah. I feel like that's what the vibe was at yeah. Bonnaroo. I sat in the sun for hours so that I could be at the front of the stage because I'm very short. And if I was not at the front of the stage, I was not gonna be able to see anything. Um, so, you know, like I risked heat stroke, but it was totally worth it. And, and then I, you know, I flirted with a roadie and I got a set list and that was also totally worth it. And shout out to that roadie, wherever you are. Um, <laughs> he really, he really hooked me up and um it's just it's just amazing and yeah. so but i didn't see the broadway show i didn't see it this time either it's like i'm uh, never gonna see the broadway show well, i don't it's even still going now it's going through end of september i believe yeah i'm not gonna get to yeah. new york during the thing i wish i had just like i had got one of those codes and everything and i was in a meeting and i didn't leave the meeting and i should have been like hey guys i gotta go to the bathroom and like bought springsteen tickets yeah. But instead, I was like a good worker, and I regret that. I do regret like that was a dumb decision. I, I will. Um, I will suggest that there there is a documentary that was made about that concert, the John Kerry concert doc. And oh, there is a documentary, and I'm, I, I I'll, I'll I'll send the name of it once I think of it. But there is just this adorable part of that documentary where Michael Stipe, who is an insanely large Bruce Springsteen fan, they just gotten the first pressing of their new album, which at that time was around the sun. Um, and they just got the first press at the, and he is so, he is like a little schoolboy. He is so excited to give Bruce Springsteen the first pressing of that album and to watch him give him that Michael Stipe, who at that point also, you know, one of the biggest musicians in the world and a genius in his own right. And just watching him be so excited and so, like, just revert back to being a kid listening to Bruce to give him that album is just one of the sweetest things I've ever seen. That is adorable. That's in the documentary? Yeah, it's in the documentary. Like, he's so excited, but also nervous. Like, nervous for Bruce to hear it. Oh. <laughs> and, like, and uh, yeah, it's it's just fantastic. It's so good. I, I love that. Um, I would watch, like, every, every Bruce clip, pretty much. I, I used to watch... Um, a bunch of his live shows on YouTube, but then I think like the copyright yeah. machines came in and pulled down. There used to be like whole like two hour, I think they were ripped off of like a DVD. So that's why they got ripped, pulled down. But there used to be like two, you know, whole two, three hour shows just up on YouTube. I wonder, what, what do you think? Have you heard the Bleacher song? Yeah, I have. The um, Chi Chinatown. Yeah, what do, you like think, what do you think of that song? So... I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Jack Ant is it Antonoff, Antoff, yeah. Yeah. whatever. So it's like, it's a fine song. I don't know why Springsteen needs to be singing on it. He doesn't really add anything to it, and it's kind of incongruous. But at the same time, I'm sure he's a big fan. Yeah. And, and that probably made his day. And then also, perhaps the younger fans will get into Springsteen because of it. So I can't 
like d- fault the song. I actually have it on my like 2021 playlist. So I have listened to it a lot. Um, mostly just cause it was like new Springsteen and I was like immediately add to my playlist yeah. to listen to over and over. But, um, what is your take on it? I, you know, I had the similar feelings the first few times I heard it, but now I, it's sort of like got stuck in my head and now I can't get it out of my head. And so I find <laughs> myself listening to it all the time. And the same with the, um, you know, the killer song that he just, uh, I, I like, too. I like what they did with the Killers song because the Killers were always trying, especially yeah. on Sandstown, to be Springsteen. So it fits a little bit more tonally in, in my head. Absolutely. Um, it, the video for Chinatown, though, I just think is so ridiculous and wonderful, which is basically just like Jack and Bruce riding around in a car and hanging yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I So hilariously, one of the first uh, shows I ever saw when I was in college was Jack's band, his early band, um, what were they called? Was He wasn't in the format, was he? No, no, no. He was in a band um, oh, called Steel Train. Oh, right, and, right. Yeah, and they played a free lunch concert <laughs> and then sold, like, their own – they had to, like, sell their own stuff, right? So I, I ha- still have the CD. I probably bought that CD from Jack um back in the day and I didn't have him sign it or anything because I didn't you know I didn't think he was gonna blow I thought he was good they had a couple good songs but I didn't think it was gonna like blow up and become you know like the super producer that he is now I kind of should have gotten it signed (laughs) if I'd been if I'd been thinking you know that might be worth something now now it's just you know it's just a cd um but it's it's been fun watching him kind of rise from this like guy pounding the pavement to like producing taylor swift albums it's yeah it's, it's been interesting um and you know i think he's earned getting a song with springsteen whether it thematically works or not you know yeah ex- exactly and i agree like it's certainly not it's certainly a, it's an odd song for me to hear bruce's voice on yeah it, it, it it's like it, it is odd to hear his voice on there but i just it's like i said it's gotten so stuck in my head i find myself like humming it like <laughs> Speaking speaking of odd songs, not really an odd song. I was trying to transition that. Um, did you read about the the Thunder Road lyrics? I did. I hadn't heard anything about it until you sent me that link, and then I read through it, and I was like, like, what are we even talking about here, people? It's always been Sways. It's always been Sways. Thank you. Okay, I'm glad. I, I never once thought it was Waves. Never once has what? it occurred to me that it would be Waves. Yeah, I don't know what people have been hearing all 50 years, and people have been completely mishearing it. I don't. It has always been Sways. Okay, good. I'm and glad we're. I'm glad we're aligned. To me, it's not even close. Like there are some lyrics that that, that there. It's valid that there's this confusion, but like I hear that song and I'm like, it's so obviously Sways. Yeah, I. <laughs> I just think it's, I mean, I'm glad he's getting press. I'm glad people, it's probably made more people listen to the song on Spotify than yeah. anything in the last, you know, couple of years. So that's good. But at the same time, it's like, what are you all like, do you have wax in your ears? Like what is happening? Um, and so, it's not even as evocative a lyric if it's waves. Yeah. yeah not at all. <laughs> and and dresses, dresses don't really wave. They sway. Yeah. There's a whole Dean Martin song about that. Um, so I have a question for you. Sure. So let's say that you have to indoctrinate someone into Bruce Springsteen who has, oh my never, who has never heard a single Bruce Springsteen song. 
but you can only do it with three albums. Oh, wow. Which, which albums do you choose? Three albums. Oh, well, I guess because he's somebody with with kind of distinct eras, I would say I'd probably pick Asbury Park and then um, I happen to love Tunnel of Love, so I would do Tunnel of Love and then I would do Wrecking Ball and I think you get kind of his early energetic self. You get his sort of beginning of the end of his first relationship and getting more introspective self and then you get his sort of angry older self now it does skip born in the usa which is probably his most popular album yeah and that is full of bangers and then there's nebraska and you're kind of skipping that but it's like if you only get three i feel like those are three really good looks at the kind of songs he writes yeah i think that's valid even though we have three totally different albums yeah, what are what are what are your three? Um, well, I would be Darkness on the Edge of Town. Okay. Um, I would have to, I would have to go that route. Um, I would also go uh, Letter to You as sort of the the bookend on that. And then for mm-hmm. the other one, I'll be honest, the other one would be really hard for me because part of me, I mean, nine times out of ten, I would probably say The Rising. Yeah. I mean, I, that's probably where I would go with that, but I hate skipping over Nebraska. I feel like Nebraska, Nebraska is real good. Yeah, it's um, but I would probably go with the Rising because I just feel like I, I feel like that album holds up so well, and um, it's so it's and, and I, there. I mean, oh, there are a few of his albums that I would call perfect albums. There are some that are not. There are some that are a little ragged and a little shaggy, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. But um, but there are a few that I would say are perfect albums. For me, The Rising is one of those. Um, and, you know, obviously to me, so is Born to Run. But <laughs> Yeah. I think um, it's interesting that we, we didn't, neither of us picked his most, his two most popular yeah. albums. Um, and to some extent, three, because The River is also, I think, probably yeah. those three are his most, most famous. But I, I, I always find that to try to get somebody into an artist, it's my approach has always been to to show less what's really popular because you know right. that those songs are catchy and it's like maybe a lot of people who love those three albums maybe only know those three albums. Yeah. But if you're going to turn them into like a true fan, you got to get them into the stuff that's a little deeper cut earlier because – and then – I always think deeper cut first and then the poppier stuff, because if you can, if you can sell them on the deeper cut stuff and you know, they're going to love the other stuff. Yeah. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and, and that's, and that's, and that's sort of why I chose what I chose to. And, and part of it is too, like I adore born to run. Like I think born to run is a perfect album, but there's something about darkness on the edge of town to me. That is, I don't know. That's a, just a little more, I hate to say a little more Bruce, but it's a little more Bruce to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's the one that I find myself, you know, of those early albums, Darkness is the one I find myself returning to more it's, often. It's the one in um, Blinded by the Light that, like, turns turns that kid into a Bruce yeah. fan. Yeah, it sure Got is. Those, it really does have um, have some real, real angst fest songs in there. Um not in a not in an emo way, in a really no, not at all. R- really eloquent but angsty 
you know, capper for the 60s and 70s. Um, I just love Bruce Springsteen so much. God, oh, my I God. God I, <laughs> it's I, abso- like- I absolutely do. And uh, it's, you know, and I, it only grows every time, you know, every time something else comes out. It's just like, oh, man. Like, because, I mean, a lot of, you know, you look at a lot of artists his age or his generation and, you you know, you listen to their output and it's like, okay, like, it's cool that you're still making music, but there's been an obvious decline in quality. Exactly. And, and- like that last Bob Seger, and I adore Bob Seger, but like that last Bob Seger record was like, uh, Bob, maybe you shouldn't be, maybe you should give it a break. But like, it never happens with Bruce. Like, it's like every new album is so fresh and so, it's so similar. I mean, it's, it's so like comforting and that it is similar, but it's also so different. And I don't know. I just, every time he puts something out, it's so unexpected in different ways. It, he's definitely an artist that I think continually pushes himself artistically and and succeeds at doing that which i think a lot of artists do try to push themselves but don't succeed yeah. is is unfortunately what happens um or they don't try to push themselves and they just they try to recreate the same kind of stuff that that worked you know earlier and yeah. like jimmy like jimmy buffett yeah yeah <laughs> you know i mean i love jimmy buffett but he he's not exactly someone who who pushed himself really hard to always you know, be a little different. He just like found what worked and has yeah. done that for 50 years. <laughs> but Bruce, you know, Bruce is able to do that. Folks like David Byrne are able to do it where I feel like he's also someone who's constantly trying to evolve and like push himself. And I also saw David Byrne at that same Bonnaroo. Oh, um, wow. He was amazing yeah. as you would expect. He did one, he did one set by himself and then he like, um, crashed the St. Vincent set because it was right before they had their their album together. Like I think they were just starting to sort of vibe together. And so I got to see him twice in in a weekend and it was definitely that was a great weekend. Yeah, um it was two thousand and nine. It was right before everything kinda got crappy during the recession. I remember, <laughs> it was like my I remember last I remember gas. See my sister lives in uh she lives about twenty minutes away from Bonnaroo. And mm-hmm. so I remember that year, you know, the, the Bruce year, because I really desperately wanted to go and was just not able to make it happen. Um, I couldn't find anybody who would go with me. So I, I flew from the Bay Area and went completely by myself. It was really intense. Um, I did not die. So that's, <laughs> that's all good. that matters. I, I my was, da- go ahead. I was going to say my dad was like, I, a few months earlier, I had gone to, to France by myself. Uh-huh. And my dad was totally fine with that. And then I went to this this music festival and he was like so concerned. And I'm like, how are you more concerned about the music festival? Yeah. Then like I went to a foreign country and I mean, yes, I speak French, but like, what the heck? He was he was like, ah, you'll be fine in Paris, but this music festival, who knows? And I'm like, okay. Bonnaroo can be rough. Bonnaroo can get can get rowdy. It was it was not it was not bad. I um made, made some friends at the airport who were from Reno, and so we kind of camped together, but weren't together. So there was there were people making sure that I was alive every morning, which was nice. That's nice. Um, but you know I don't do I don't do drugs at all, so I didn't. I actually got food poisoning, and um right after Springsteen, I had some funnel cake because uh, I decided to eat funnel cake to celebrate. 
and the funnel cake did not want to celebrate with me and it was really bad and the and the medics um there's like there's like a triage tent and then they take you to the actual like medical setup if 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 need be and they kept asking me about drugs and i was like i guarantee you i'm the only person here who's never even done drugs i am having an adverse reaction to funnel cake please help me finally i convinced them that it was not a reaction to any kind of drug and they took me and I got like an anti, you know, vomit medicine basically and some hydration. That <laughs> was better. But um, that sounds like re- someone eating funnel cake at a concert sounds like it would be a Bruce Springsteen lyric. You know, it felt like, like it kind of did feel like it. I will never, I've never had funnel cake since because it was such a bad experience. Yeah. <laughs> but I probably shouldn't have gotten funnel cake at like 11 o'clock at night. Like, that's when the oil's at probably the grossest. And yeah, it's it, there've been a lot of cakes cooked at that point. I ha- I just really didn't think about it. And you know they're probably um, cooking hot dogs and shit in that same oil. They're cooking yeah, it's everything hard to, in it. Well, yeah, in Bonnaroo, like they sell alligator and like who knows, you know, who knows what was in that oil. Um, but clearly, whatever it was was not happy uh, to be in my stomach. So <laughs> would, you, would you say that? Would you say that that funnel cake hit your stomach like a wrecking ball? <laughs> it sure did. Good. Yes. I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad to know that it did. Uh, good times. Um, so we're kind of hitting the hour here. Was there Are there any other um, last thoughts you have about the song or the album or just Bruce in general you want to leave with people? Boy, I just, I, I, you know, I'm assuming that anybody who's listening to this is probably, I mean, is probably already a fan to some degree. Um, but if they might not, be, they might be prog rock fans. Oh, that's true. That's true. So <laughs> uh, that, that is, that is very true. I would just encourage people because I know there, I know a lot of people out there throughout my life who have been like, oh, you know, you should listen to Bruce Springsteen. And they're like, eh, Bruce Springsteen. Like, and it's like every time I've gotten those people to come around, they've never been disappointed. Like I have, I have had similar stories where people, I think, so I think that because he, he born in the USA was so mis like interpreted <laughs> by like the eighties, you know, people who didn't listen to the lyrics, it got turned yeah. into this, like, you know, I don't even know patriotic thing in the wrong sense of patriotic when it really, it is in the right sense of patriotic. It's a very critical song of the country in a wonderfully patriotic way. But I think people then have gleaned just the, the misinterpretation and so they're afraid to get into Bruce because it it seems jingoistic or it seems, you know, more like I don't even know what I, what word I'm looking for, but do you know what I mean? It just seems yeah. like one thing, but and they all think that's what it's going to be, like hoorah, America's great kind of stuff. And it's like actually, it's incredibly incisive, critical songs about like how shitty the country treats its own people, <laughs> like yeah and why we're all so miserable it's really great bummer stuff except some of the early songs that are are, um which is why i always recommend the first two albums because a lot of those songs are really just like wild and crazy rock and roll nights and he hasn't gotten quite too serious yet but the serious stuff is some of the the most incisive you know commentary on american everything since you know like bob dylan which is why i like them together i feel like they're both really wonderfully critical of this country i'm curious um how many folks have you had on the show to talk about dream theater 
Um, none. Oh wow. Okay. See, I, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to dive in because I, you know, I went through a prog rock phase when I was younger. Um, and I, you know, and and you know, I was, you know, I went and saw Yes a couple times. You know, I, I probably each time with different band members because they change every other day. Yeah, yeah, that and, that sounds right for Yes. <laughs> and then I, I had my I had my big King Crimson phase. Yes, uh, that's I'm still in the King Crimson phase. <laughs> yeah, and then early Genesis, early Genesis, which I love. I have had someone come on and talk about Genesis, um, Adam from Film Spotting. That's actually the next. From the recording, if you're listening to this, it's already aired. But the next one that will be going up is Adam talking about Genesis for an hour, oh, and it's it's really fantastic. good. He he loves Genesis so much. It was a it was a really great show. Um, but awesome. I actually have not listened to Dream Theater. This is a prog rock band that I haven't gotten to, Ooh. so I'm very excited to listen. And then I'm probably gonna harass you to come back on <laughs> to yeah. talk about them. They are, you know, they are to me like you know they were called. The, the, I remember for a long time they were called the only band that matters. Oh and wow! Okay. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go that far. But what's cool about Dream Theater is that when you listen to them, you're like, oh, now I know where Tool became Tool. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at now. I see they're they're formed in the 80s. This explains why I haven't gotten to them. I'm still mostly stuck in like 70s prog rock. Yeah, this is definitely um, this is definitely 80s. This is definitely that bridge between like your yes and your Jethro Tull into your like uh into like your tool era and stuff like that. It's sort of the yeah. bridge between the two. That's okay. We're going to we're going to um I'm going to listen to this and then I'm going to reach back out and we're going to do a dream theater episode. Heck yeah. Um, Cause that sounds great. I love discovering. This is what I love about this show is every single episode, someone has brought something up where I'm like, wait, I don't even know what that is. Um, and then I have homework and I love that <laughs> so much. Um, well, uh, on that note, any last thoughts? Otherwise I'm going to, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. I, I think the only last thought would be, uh, you know, just listen to as much Bruce as possible. I feel like that is, that has been my ethos. That is the reason this, this show exists. Um, I managed to listen to so much Springsteen when I was visiting my parents that um, my dad was like, can you, can you please stop? <laughs> He's like, he was like, you, you can put anything on as long as it's not Springsteen. And I was like, dang it. I hit the, I hit the limit with them. <laughs> I think the best way to say it would be a theme from the new album, which is appreciate Bruce while he's here. Cause he won't be here forever. That's the thing. And that's a great bummer note to end on. I love yes. ending on a bummer note. Yeah. Um, but also just in general, um, not to make everyone too, you know, deep in their feelings in whenever this drops August, September, but like, we're not here for much long, you know, it's like yeah. everything is, what is it? It's um, everything is too short and the portions are small or whatever yeah, it is. It's yeah. like, that's, that's life. It's, it's a blip. It's a blip. Even, you know, even if you live to be 98 and a half, like my grandpa, he, he still wanted more time. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that was a lesson I learned. Um, Cause it is really a blip. So I uh, will hopefully uh, listeners enjoyed this hour uh, blip in their life. And um, if you did, please rate and subscribe and share and tell your friends and listen to the old episodes. And um, if you have a, a prog rock band that I haven't heard of like dream theater and you would like me to listen to them, definitely tweet at me and I will find them and listen because I love discovering new music. And, um, as always, everybody rock on.